Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Ed Weird World Podcast. I'm your host, Edward, and I'm so excited to welcome you to our first episode. Today, we'll meet our host, as well as discuss the short story, The Evening and the Morning and the Night by Octavia E. Butler. Warning, our discussion will not be spoiler-free. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can find us on most social media platforms as Ed Weird World, or you can head over to the blog, edweirdworld.com. I'm the editor-in-chief, producer, and jack-of-all-trades of Ed Weird World, Edward. I have a lifelong passion for writing and reading, and just received my BA in English. Some of my favorite writers are Susanna Clark, Sam J. Miller, and Carmen Maria Machado. I read everything from young adult to literary fiction to memoirs and have a special place in my heart for short stories and books about the craft of writing. Above all of that, the most interesting thing about me is that I have two cats named Millie and Ellie and a Jack Russell Terrier named Charlie. I'm joined here today by my regular co-hosts, Candace, Fieta, and Alicia, who are each going to introduce themselves now. Hi, my name is Candace. Reading and writing will always be my favorite forms of escapism. I recently graduated with a BA in English and a minor in anthropology. I will be attending graduate school in the fall to concentrate on folklore, fairy tales, and mythology. I tend to read a wide variety from fiction to nonfiction. Some of my favorite writers are Marina Warner, Maria Tater, Neil Gaiman, Brandon Sanderson, and Haruki Murakami. A fun fact about me is that I used to DJ for an international Korean radio station under the pseudonym DJ Bento. I'm Svieta. Um, I'm currently working on my bachelor's in English, and I'm also doing a minor in communications. I would say that I'm interested in all forms of art, but writing and reading have been probably the number one thing for me. On the side, I also do graphic design and commissions for people. I also live with my evil spawn, my little cat Willow, and that's all. I'm Alicia. I have a Bachelor of Science in Anthropology and a minor in Religious Studies. And I'm about to have a Master of Science in Historic Preservation. Um, So I like really old things that are cool. I like reading for fun. I read almost anything. Uh, My favorite author is Michael Crichton. So I will devour anything by him. And you've probably seen his movies. And yeah, that's about it. This week we read The Evening and the Morning and the Night by Octavia E. Butler, and we are going to start our discussion by having Candace introduce us to the author and also to the story. Octavia E. Butler is an author that I greatly admire. Her works transcend the boundaries that people of color, especially women, are often met with. She was the first science fiction writer to receive the MacArthur Fellowship. She also won the Hugo Award and Nebula Prize for her novella, Bloodchild, her short story, Speech Sounds, and her novel, Parable of the Talent. As an avid fantasy and sci-fi reader, growing up, there was very little representation of women of color writers. Before I discovered Butler's works, I felt that I was only allowed to read these works of fiction, but never contribute my own. She changed that. This week, we read The Evening and the Morning and the Night, which is in several of her collections, but recently published in Bloodchild and the Other Stories. The story focuses on life after a cure for cancer has been discovered. This discovery, however, comes at a price where the offspring of the cure develop DGD, or Duria Go disease. The story centers on Lynn, who inherited a double dose of DGD from both parents and her visitation to Dill, which is like a retreat where patients use creative outlets for dealing with the disease. So one of the things that I think hits you right from the start of the story is DGD. 
Durea-Gold disease. And in the opening of the story, I think that the hook does a good job making you aware that the story is going to be about the disease, but it doesn't spell out initially what it is. And I wondered what you thought of that. I would say that uh, knowing how fantasy and Butler's world works, it never, uh, still never prepares you for how like she unfolds her stories as it kind of goes on. And for me, um, from the first few sentences, you learn that this world is going to be different. There are some similarities, but obviously not the same, which is, you know, always nice to kind of get that in in the first place. Initially, I was surprised by the sudden realization of like just being dropped in the middle of this story that kind of feels already formed with DGD being a thing, being a concept that everybody knows and just, you know, accepts. That was really interesting. I love that about all of her work because she's really good at doing that for the reader. It's kind of like you wake up and the world's just been building up around you the whole time. Um, and so I feel like she allowed us to sort of piece together the main um, like concept of the story as it's revealed to you through the main character. Well, and I think that that is something that is really an advantage in a short story, the way that, um, and like you said, I think that that's a theme across all of her short stories is she um, doesn't take time to build before the first sentence that she gives you. She drops you right into the middle of the action. And I think in a lot of ways, a, a good short story has to be that way. You don't have time to build the world. You have to kind of just throw your reader into it and give them what you can uh, for them to kind of draw their own conclusions. In a way, not in a way, truly, I think that, that she's a master of that, making compelling worlds that are easy to understand without having to build a dictionary about them or make up an encyclopedia about them. I completely agree. It's a talent that not many can replicate. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I haven't read a lot of Butler's work, but I did read Blood Child. It kind of has that similar like structure where it's like, you're just there. And I really appreciate that because I've definitely read short stories where they spend so much time in the introduction that by the you know end, you haven't really gotten anywhere. I kind of appreciate her ability to do that so well where it's not elusive, but it, it just works really well with what she's trying to do. I've never read anything by Butler. So this was kind of a really intense starting point because initially I, the first like what, two paragraphs, I thought that it was going to be a way different story than what it was. You know, like I thought it was just going to be about her battling with suicide and, you know, just being super messed up. But it uh, definitely took a hard laugh, which, you know, is interesting. Yeah, it, it just went for it, which kept me reading, kept me going. Although I did have a little issue with it just dropping me in the middle because then I was like, oh, is that a real disease? Let me look it up and almost spoiled the story for myself. Well, and so um, another question kind of that I'll pose, piggybacking off of this is, do you feel like by the conclusion of the story, you were pleased with the information you had about DGD? No. But again, I, you know, like as much information as possible and it's not a real thing. So then I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure out these dog biscuits or their diet or what, you know, the restrictions of it or anything. So that was a little frustrating for me, but it's a cool concept. Yeah, I kind of actually, I was pleased with it. Um, I thought it kind of left it a little subjective, which I thought was interesting. So it's a little bit more translative for people just in general. So I think it make, makes it pretty accessible. I did, I was a little confused though. I was like, well, when, how did this even start necessarily? And like, I don't know, there were some things that didn't make sense to me because I'm not very like scientific or have a good knowledge of those things. But I think that overall it incorporated enough knowledge for me to like feel satisfied with the ending. Yeah, I agree. I agree with both, like for me, 
I felt that even though DGD was present, it wasn't the star of the show like you would initially thought it was going to be. It was just something that connected all the events, I feel like, um, as the story went along. Um, and it felt more like a glimpse into the world of having DGD, dealing with it, passing it on sort of thing. And so for me, I was kind of okay that there was only a little bit of information given about it because then that maybe would have overshadowed sort of like, you know, other moments where they met Alan's mother and it was, uh, you know, an impact of like her whole physical appearance and things that were going on with her and sort of like the emotional, you know, there's a lot of anger and things like that going through the story. So I kind of like would like to know more about it, but um, it may have overshadowed, especially in a short story, it may have overshadowed like the emotions that uh, I feel like Butler was trying to uh, get across. Yeah, I thought uh, the way that the story kind of throws you in about DGD um, in the first two paragraphs and then kind of takes its time over the next two pages or so to kind of clue you in a little about a little bit more that it kind of like incites violent rages, causes like self-mutilation. Um, I thought giving those kind of pieces of information along the way were at least enough to keep me bobbing above water and thinking, okay, I can accept this. I can, um, you know, I, I want to keep on moving forward and learning more about what's happening. Uh, another thing that I think too, if you've kind of read some of Butler's work, which were kind of a mixed crowd here on that, um, I think she always has really interesting depictions of religion in her stories. Um, this story has a small depiction, I think, of religion in it. And yet I think that it's so interesting um, because basically she, from my inter my readerly interpretation, I think that she kind of uses it as a device to blame her parents for her own existence and for the reason that they have continued to live on, you know? She says that they are too religious to believe in suicide because they both have DGD, so too religious to kill themselves and too religious to believe in abortion when they get pregnant. I kind of was just wondering if you had any thoughts that that kind of stood out to you. Also, too, kind of, do you feel like, what do you think Butler thinks about religion is something I'm interested to hear other people talk about as well. For me, I liked that religion was mentioned, um, even if it was kind of brief in the story. Um, I feel like it sort of gave hints on what is a driving force for some of these people who are kind of desperate, especially when you need hope, you want to find something to believe in. And religion is known for being like a beacon for the lost and hopeless. And in this world where diseased people are being treated as if they aren't even human, I feel like it was just kind of very natural that people would gravitate towards something that's considered like they can get mercy here, they can get help here, or, you know, just kind of be normal. It's also a way to explain, like, the decisions that, like, especially Lynn's parents felt that they had to make with uh, not having an abortion, wanting to have a child because you want to, they still want to be a part of society. And, you know, it's known that having children growing your family, that's being a uh, part of society, that's contributing to it. Um, whereas from Lynn's point of view, she's kind of a child who didn't ask to be born, especially with such devastating odds against her. So I'm kind of on both their sides because I can see how to her faith driving their her parents' decision is selfish because it seems like they didn't really take 
you know, all the things into account of what she would have to deal with once she was actually here. That's actually something that I hear a lot from like, cause you know, these are based on real diseases, like you said. So I've heard it from people who deal a lot with things like depression and dissociation where it's like, I didn't ask to be here. So that again was like a little bit of realism uh, coming through the story with her, like having Lynn have such animosity towards religion and her parents and like kind of the choice being taken away from her. Um, One line that stood out to me was when she said he and I never forgave each other for that day. And I feel like that's kind of like the underlining tone of the whole story. She didn't want to be born, especially with DGD. And she felt robbed of the choice uh, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, I definitely think it was interesting how they incorporated religion because it kind of, I feel like it mirrors the tension that we have in reality too, kind of seeing how for some people, religion was a way to get by, but for some people it's in like an impressive structure, especially when they're kind of talking about the, that whole idea of patrolling their bodies and such. So it was definitely interesting to see how it translated into each person's life that we got to see because I feel like it also, it really does um, mirror what society kind of thinks of it as well. I thought that there would be uh, more of a prevalence of religion once it got mentioned since it kind of comes off pretty heavy-handed in the mentioning but I I think that it's Lynn's excuse and her way of understanding I don't think that her parents even considered because honestly people have children all the time when they shouldn't be having children because they're selfish and egotistical you know it's what people do you have a baby and you contribute to society whether or not that's actually helpful and so I think it was probably more along the line they want to be normal but also people just have babies they don't really think about the consequences or even their actual beliefs in anything I think it's just her understanding of it because it's easy for her to blame somebody else besides just her parents and I think that that's really interesting too the idea of her using religion as the as a scapegoat you know just as kind of a placeholder to like well there's the reason for this and you know I don't really have to think about it more than that but then at the end of the story we find out that actually the condition of Lynn's birth specifically are actually miraculous. You know, she has this gift because she is born having uh, two parents with DGD, which gives her kind of the ability to pacify others who have DGD. So then I kind of wondered too, you know, is it a miracle? You know, is the text implying to us that it's a miracle too? I don't think that there's really mention of religion again, but still this decision that in earlier in the story, she kind of goes out of her way to paint as, you know, being, um, you know, kind of out of their hands was it, well if it was out of their hands was it because it was like a bigger plan I mean it makes sense in a story like this that something if, if you're going to think about it religiously if God's going to allow something so horrific to happen then it only makes sense that he would find a way to make it maybe a little bit better yeah I agree with that like sort of here's a little bit of mercy with all the other stuff that I threw at you yeah, and that whole idea of like when they're talking about like having the gift or whatever, like even just thinking about in, ter- in terms of biblical theology, there's always these ideas of gifts, um, especially to people who are kind of seen as less than. So that's kind of interesting as well. Something that we have already kind of touched on a little bit is this idea that I had, you know, when I'm writing, one of the biggest joys for me is world building. And I always lament that you really can't make a career as a writer, um, as just a world builder. You have to do more. You have to, you know, if only writing were just world building and not being. Sometimes I read a story and then I scratch my head at the end and I say, well, was this all their clever way to just do their world building on the page? And so that's actually something that I'm interested about this 
story as well. I wonder if you feel like it is more, if the story was truly about Lynn or if the central figure in the story is actually DGD. For me, I believe that I feel as if Lynn was just used as the character perspective to allow us to be provided with insight as the reader. Um, I believe the story was more about highlighting the world that DGDs um, exist in and like, you know, society in general and those prejudices. Um, For some, I guess some readers could see the disease as like the villain of the story when in reality DGDs are still like living breathing humans and so I feel like it shows a little bit of like what they're capable of and you know what they can do to themselves because it talks about the horror stories that especially like Lynn has witnessed but then when she gets to the retreat center and you see kind of like with Beatrice and her whole um, operation that's going on it humanizes people with DGD so then you kind of build a connection with these people you know they're they're not animals um there is still a little bit of a human aspect to them i would say like even though there were some bad seeds that it's still just something that's relevant in modern times in every race there's going to be bad seeds and you know people with or without diseases so i would say that there's also like some dgds who like don't have a choice but to survive and it was really nice to see sort of a spectrum of you know these people fell really hard they didn't make it kind of like Lynn's father and then you get Alan's mother Naomi who you know has survived the horrific thing she did to herself and went through um and you can still kind of see some struggling's with it but so to me I kind of I didn't forget that we were looking at things through Lynn's point of view but I didn't feel like she was a star of the show. I felt like we were getting like a glimpse of like everybody and sort of like the whole big picture of it. I agree with that. I think that Lynn was more of a kind of a vessel for us to get more perspective into the DGD world. Just looking at her, the way she narrated it, we saw a lot of different perspectives through her. So I don't think Lynn was like, sure she was like the main narrator, but I don't think she was like over, like overtaking the whole story and it was like revolving around her. Rather, it just kind of like the story worked well with using her as the narrator and her experience. I kind of agree with all of that. I think for sure the story started off about Lynn. We only knew about DGD because of her. And then I think once she got into college and that house, it became more, um, I think it became more about her. I feel like her as a character became almost selfish in the story. Uh, I think she saw herself as like this anomaly in this world and that made her special. And I feel like there was an air about it. And the thing that really makes me say that is her immediate dislike for Beatrice, which did get explained, but still just seemed a little like, oh, there can only be one alpha female. We're going to play that card. Okay. And I just, I don't know. I feel like Lynn thought that she was special from the from the get-go once she got in that house. And like, I don't know what it is, but everyone just listened to me. And so it became less about DGD and then more about Lynn and her specialness. I see that too, becoming about Lynn and her specialness. Uh, this question that I kept on kind of going over in my own head when I was weighing this, if the story is, you know, if Lynn is the central figure of the story, is she really seeing any progression, you know, from point A to point, or from point A to the end of the story? Has she really developed in any way? And no, I think is the answer to that. For me, the, the answer is no. What happened to Lynn is that her destiny, which, I, I mean, if she has a conscience, she doesn't have much choice in, really. You know, if she 
she knows she has this ability. Um, it, it's really kind of an obligation for her now to use it, I think. So the story kind of her development becomes that she her destiny, as it were, kind of drops into her lap. Um, for th- for that reason, though, I kind of thought though that in the end, the story is just kind of a was just kind of a device for Butler to be like, here's this cool disease I made. Doesn't it sound terrible? This is how people living with it would be. And and especially too, I think the way Candace you were talking about it does really. I think that now I'm seeing it as world building because you said it shows a spectrum of people with it. You know, it wasn't just this is how one person is dealing with DGD. It's like here are all these little stories told through kind of one perspective of somebody with DGD. Piggybacking on what Alicia said too, like when she reached the house, it was kind of like, since it was a short story and there is only so much you can do, um, one of Butler's tactics with world building is the world gets bigger for the reader as it does for the character. And so before college, Lynn's world was very small. At college, she mentioned how there were more people around her. There were more DGDs that she was interacting with. And so like, like her world kind of opened up and we were able to be introduced to all these other broad perspectives. And then she met Alan and stuff like that. So, yeah. Something else that we have kind of touched on leading up to this point, but we haven't really discussed in full is how um, the story, well, actually I'm going to back it up by saying um, I went through a phase where I really loved zombie movies. What I don't like about zombie movies is that they never give you a good zombie origin story. I am someone who wants to know exactly, I want to know the minute the first zombie was walking and how it spread. I like want to know. And if I don't know, I just don't believe it. I'm like, well, whatever. Sure, these zombies, whatever. We're going to wake up from a dream soon, I'm sure. But I did appreciate was that she, it wasn't like, oh, this horrible disease exists. She gave you the the cause of the disease, which was that people who got this cure for cancer, then their children got DGD, were the first generation of people with DGD. But then when I'm thinking about that, I think it's so interesting. And I think it also, too, is so um, Octavia Butler to present this idea of this horrible disease, but you take it one step back and it's actually this miraculous amazing thing that caused it so i'm kind of interested in your take on how the story weighs bad things coming from good things or good things coming from bad things even touching into the zombie comment that you made edward you should check out warm bodies if you haven't because i'm interested to see what your take on that is it's like not to you know tangent off of but it's kind of like a uh, zombie who becomes like sentient or he still like has his thoughts and stuff um and going through the whole I'm a zombie this is what's going on it's you know young adult but I'm interested to see what you would say about that but um back to the themes um I believe that um the theme of bad coming from good is um something that is shown in modern times um when it comes to for me creation of the internet I love the internet I love the digital era I'm a techie full on if you saw my setup just saying but the internet has many good qualities, many perks, and, you know, has greatly advanced our world. Um, yet, it also empowers those with ill intent and can kind of be a breeding ground for, like, provoking uh, mental illnesses. Um, I would say that we're very, very dependent upon it to the point that some people can't even put down their phones when they're spending time with someone that's, like, in the same room. I'm guilty of it, too, so I'm not, like, you know, higher than thou when I'm saying it. I'm just 
it's something that I'm always aware of when I'm like, oh my God, I've been scrolling through my phone for an hour now and I'm sitting here next to my friends. Um, I would say at the same time, something good coming from something bad. Um, for me, it happened uh, when I lost my little brother. Um, it helped me build a better and like stronger relationship with my mother. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, obviously still going through that years later, um, it negatively affects a lot about my family structure, losing him, but me or my mother and I were not very close um, before. And now we're like practically best friends. So it's definitely, you know, the good from the bad in that situation, because unfortunately, I believe uh, wholeheartedly that if he was still alive, we would not be but as close as we are today. Yeah. As far as the story goes, um, looking at how, as far as like good coming from bad, like watching like the DGDs in the retreat, it just seemed that they had a lot of conflict because it was like they had all these passions and they were very good at what they were doing with like what they were creating. But it was almost like they were like brainwashed in a sense, like they were very so fixated on it. They kind of had a loss of self, which I get because of like the, the situation. But it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword from what I saw in the whole story. There was these good things, but there was also these bad things. And it was like constantly in kind of like at war with each other, just kind of from what I saw with that. I think um, in this story specifically, something bad coming from something good would be not only DDD itself, because obviously it came from a cure from cancer, but more specifically, like the, the birth of Lynn, because ideally, children would be born out of love, but both of her parents had DDD, so that made her a double DDD child, but that also gave her the pheromone that helps calm others, so she's kind of an embodiment of all of it, but I feel like that's just the way the world works. You know, like current situation, people are trying to, something bad happened, so people are trying to do good, and then people are rioting about it. So it's a never-ending story. I guess it's all, what is it, objective? What is good? What is bad? So kind of in this idea, too, of good coming from bad, um, I think that the line that stuck out to me most in literally the whole story was this exchange between Beatrice and Lynn. Um, when Beatrice tells Lynn, well, um, first, uh, Beatrice kind of embraces this idea about the disability that people with DGDs have, that they have special gifts. Um, and Lynn is outraged, you know, she's like, oh, oh, so you're saying all these stereotypes about us are true. And Beatrice says, yes, but people occasionally come to the right conclusion for the wrong reason. Um, and I kind of think that that in itself too is the same idea of something bad coming from something good or something good coming to something bad. But that really got me thinking about how the story portrays prejudice, specifically against a person with a disease. Uh, and I think especially with the eradication of major diseases, we uh, don't really think about those things. I thought it was interesting that the story did talk a lot about prejudice, but one of the only ways that somebody would know that you had DDD if you are alive would be either because you're guard, because you ripped your face off, or she talked about the like medical necklace that had the symbol, which I understand because, you know, like I know people have to wear medical bracelets, but how would people see the symbol if it's underneath your clothes? That's what I didn't understand. She's like, oh, they always see it. They always find it. But why? Is it a choker? Like, and what is this symbol? I don't understand what's making her and other DGDs stand out like sore thumbs. 
Yeah, I, I actually had the, those questions myself. Um, so I completely agree with you. And then part of me was like, is it her paranoia being sort of amplified through this? I have to wear this kind of, I was thinking whole like scarlet letter sort of thing happening with the way she was talking about it. Like even when I hide it, they still know it's there. And so to me, I was like, okay, maybe, you know, if it's shown all the time, yes, I get that. But maybe she just thinks people are looking at her all the time and automatically knows that she has this disease sort of thing and when she just really like wants to hide and be normal so I kind of had that that train of thought too I was like is it big is it heavy is it gaudy like what is this necklace that's kind of like so important but never described yeah I kind of thought the same thing too I think I definitely think it kind of has to do with that presence of fear of people knowing because just her acknowledging what she has has kind of got that stigma attached to it based on what other people perceive them as so even if they can't even see it it's just like she knows it's there so it's like well what if other people can tell what if they just know and then they look down on me well and i think too that um she feels a societal kind of pressure of social responsibility to be um forthright with the fact that she has the disease especially too because you know so many people with dgd seem to think like oh you don't just slip you're not just going to become violent one day but she actually knows firsthand yes you can just slip and become violent one day so i i think that the necklace even if it is something that she is hiding under her shirt it's something that you know she feels the cold metal pressing against her chest and chest and maybe when she leans forward you know it is just a small a dog tag really but to her it weighs 200 pounds you know i i, I do think that it is more well in, in a way i think that that's the same thing with certain types of prejudice you know um n- not with all prejudice certainly but you know something you can't just know but you're sitting there thinking uh, oh, the minute I open my mouth, they're going to know I'm this or that. Or, um, you know, if if I take my hat off and they, they see how my hair is cut, uh, they might draw the conclusion about me. So I think that it's more just about that insecurity that prejudice builds. And, and also, too, you know, uh, my final point here, kind of, you know, in your formative years, when you're stuck with the same group of people, and they know, you know, it's like, you just can't help but kind of feel like that's how the world is, that you're always with that same group of people who have known since the first grade. Final thing that I really want to talk about with this story is the ending. I guess that's a great thing to talk about with any story, or the great last thing to talk about with any story, really. For me, this story, the, the story just kind of um it's like one of those songs where the chorus plays and it just fades out uh and i wondered if you found that conclusion to be satisfying i didn't i thought it it fizzled i think it started with the punk and then it kind of plateaued and then just nothing kind of fizzled out into nothingness it actually kind of made me a little upset because i feel like it started something new with the characters and then it just kind of was like all right here you go enjoy the world alan learned new things and then really started questioning not only his life and his future but his future with lynn and it's just like bye good luck with that lynn's a superhero now i didn't like it but again i like you know everything about everything so i could have read another chapter or two and I think I would have been satisfied with that. It definitely felt a little unfinished but I also feel like it was from in my experience or the way that I saw it, it was kind of intentional that it left us with this like these people at this like they're both kind of at these crossroads of like turning points and realizations where um, Lynn kind of has this new realization of her responsibility or like her future and Alan's kind of aware that he's kind of got the short end of the stick and it's just going to be like this weird power thing difference between them so I wonder how that's going to factor into their marriage if they even get married at this point or have children 
anything like that. So I feel like um, there's just a lot still hanging there, but I, I like I liked the ending, honestly. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh, I'm satisfied with the ending simply because like I knew, you know, this is a short story. She's given us what she can give us. Um, for me, the final talk with Beatrice and Lynn um, as she like left the retreat had like, I reread that part a couple of times because there were a lot of little context clues in there that sort of allowed you to speculate and feel in the, you know, what would happen after as far as like both Alan and Lynn um, will, will come and work at the retreat. That was pretty much obvious. And I feel like the ending where Lynn even mentions that if she had looked back, she felt like she would have seen her own future, um, like standing there. That was to me like, yeah, this is all that you see. She's going to take over. Beatrice is old and, you know, that's going to be Lynn and her future. And they're probably going to build it up her and Alan together because, you know, at least even though we didn't meet Beatrice's, um, her husband, he seemed like maybe he was more a part of the facility, like not as um, able to move around freely as Beatrice was. And I think maybe that's why he wasn't introduced. Again, this is me speculating, but that's what I feel like, you know, the ending allowed for. But I feel like Alan, once he comes to terms with things, will be more involved. And so Lynn will kind of like have a, a teammate to build this facility up even further. At the end of every discussion, we go ahead and give the stories a letter grade that isn't a letter grade at all. It is a rating out of five stars. Um, so I am going to go right around the circle, starting with you, Candace, asking you to rate the story out of five stars and also to tell us why you would or would not recommend the story. I rated the story four out of five. Um, I would recommend it, but I would probably give the reader like some, like a warning for Butler because like Alicia said at the beginning, she is intense if you just are, you know, getting into her world. I feel like she set up her world with her own rules and made them seem re realistic enough that I was willing to follow along. Um, I enjoyed the immediate immersion into her story and then later learning the premise. It's just something that not many authors are skilled enough to do, especially with how she scattered important details throughout her story um, to, you know, draw the reader along. The reason I took off a point, though, is because it was first person, and I'm so particular about first person. Like, I need to manage to connect to the main character in some way if that is the only perspective that I'm going to get. And I didn't connect with Lynn, like it has been mentioned by um, Alicia, especially that she just, there was an air of arrogance that like made me disconnect from her a little bit, um, even though I was like, I should be sympathizing with her, but at the same time, it's it was just hard um, at certain points. Um, so yeah, I think that um, her, aggressive, her aggressiveness to the entire situation, while I sympathize, empathize with it, it was off-putting for me personally. Vieta, what's your rating and would you recommend this story? I would, I'm going to give it a four out of five as well. I really liked it. Um, I liked how it was set up. I, I did like that kind of immediate like immersion into that world and watching how it grew throughout the story and watching, watching that unfold through Lynn's perspective. Um, I would recommend it, but it would also kind of be like, I don't think it's just like a leisure, leisurely read because I think that that's just going to be really overwhelming. It would be really easy to get lost in the narration. And so I definitely would kind of want to give contexts as well, even before if they're not familiar with her writing, because I think it could be, if I was familiar it would be really difficult for me to be like okay so this is where we're starting and I'm familiar with this and it you know yeah so I would but it would definitely 
to kind of like prepare yourself. Alicia? I would give it a 3.5 out of 5. Um, it's definitely, it definitely has some very interesting elements and I didn't really like the main character. Um, so that was, that made reading it a little difficult. And I feel like it kind of went all over the place like if you didn't stick with the story and really think about what was happening it kind of felt like it was all over the place and I would recommend it to people just because it's very interesting and it it's kind of sci-fi fantasy but right on the cusp of being real you know like it could very easily I could see it very easily being a real thing because there are lots of weird wild diseases out in the world I mean look at us we're stuck in our houses <laughs> because of one right now so I would recommend it for sure but as everyone else said I would definitely give them a little bit of warning um it may you know bring up some trauma with people with disease or suicide even because there's very blase mention of suicide uh like it's no big deal it's a matter of fact it's going to happen so i'd recommend it but you know with with a little warning and then maybe kind of read it with a grain of salt but i'm also super judgy (laughs) well to balance your judginess Paula is here. You guys know. I loved it. I loved everything. I thought you could win the whole show right now. Um, so yeah, I loved it. I'm gonna give it a 4.5 out of 5 because um I do think that you have to think a little too hard to know about the development that Lynn is undergoing. And I uh I don't need it to be obvious, I don't need it to beat me over the head, but I've read the story a dozen times and I am just now kind of seeing that. Beatrice is a mirror to Lynn. You know what I mean? Lynn doesn't end, she ends with the destiny handed in her lap, but her character development is actually Beatrice. When she has that glance and she sees it as her future, she is Beatrice. That's the character development. So now I'm like, hmm, okay. So I bumped it up from four to four and a, four and a half stars. Um, the other thing too, if it was up to me, everyone would be forced to read Octavia Butler's work. It wouldn't even be optional. It would be like, you can read now. Here you go. I don't care that you're six years old. Figure it out. Yeah, I'm saying I want a six-year-old to read this story and the last thing that I'm gonna say and I say this every time I talk about Butler or I try to bring it up because my favorite thing about her is she is absolutely so courageous in her writing she does not give a shit and if she makes her reader feel uncomfortable I feel like she's probably smiling you know she loves it she lives for that discomfort and I love the courage you know because it takes gumption to not care if you are making your reader skin crawl and they want to drop the book and they don't want to read it and it's gusting and it's trigger warning and it's like raw um i i really and especially too you know she didn't write the story last year you know it's not like this is a story even written in the last 20 years i don't think so uh i just think it does feel so much like a story that now that new that has something to say even about what we're going through right now so for all of those reasons i'm giving it four and a half out of five i love it here's your golden ticket get to Hollywood because she averages four out of five stars. So with that, thank you so much for listening to the Edward World podcast. If you're looking for more content, you can head over to edweirdworld.com where we have a list of seven places you can read short stories online, as well as a new review of The Ladies of Grace to Do by Susanna Clark. Uh, you can follow us on most social media platforms as Edweird World. Thanks for listening and remember to keep it weird.